0: Welcome to The Truth About Taxes and Retirement. This podcast is brought to you by savingyoutaxes.com and hosted by Jay Barry Watts. As an advanced tax strategist and enrolled agent federally licensed by the IRS, Barry is uniquely qualified to go deeper into the Internal Revenue Code than most accountants. He understands and interprets its provisions explaining how they'll help you reduce income taxes you owe so you can direct that previously wasted tax money into tax-free accounts that you can enjoy in your retirement years. Now, on today's episode.
1: Welcome to the Truth About Taxes and Retirement podcast with J. Barry Watts of SavingYouTaxes.com. I'm Patrice Sikora. In this episode, Barry tackles tax planning, what it is, and why people don't do it. But, Barry, tax planning, that seems rather straightforward, isn't it?
2: I don't think it's near as straightforward as people would think it is. If you ask people if they do tax planning, They might nod their head and say yes, but in reality, if you took the next step and said, well, tell me what kind of tax planning you do, I think they would shrug their shoulders and say, well, uh, I just depend on my CPA or my tax person to do that. And then the question, of course, that comes up, is your tax person really doing tax planning? And uh, that comes back to what the definitions are and understanding what tax planning looks like. And how do you know if they're doing it? Well, I would say to you that once you have a little knowledge, and you will have that knowledge by the end of our podcast, you'll have a good sense about whether you're doing any tax planning or anybody's doing tax planning for you. The way I like to think about it is like this. Most of what we do with taxes is in the rearview mirror. So on December 31st, we close out the books for the company or close out our personal books and our personal income. And then we get all of our tax information together and we take it to the tax person And by April 15th, they file a tax return for us. And if you'll think about that, what the tax person is, whether they're a CPA or a a bookkeeper, tax preparer, enrolled agent, whatever they happen to be, the tax person is really just taking your information from last year, compiling that information in proper form and putting it onto the government's forms as they require it. They're doing everything by looking in the rear view mirror. So basically, that's not planning. Well, no, there's no planning involved in it at all. It's just reporting. But because people don't understand the difference between reporting for the purpose of tax compliance as opposed to planning, then they don't know how to have this conversation. You see, we're using the rearview mirror idea. Well, I want you to keep looking out the front of the car, but instead of looking in the rearview mirror, I want you to look through the front windshield of the car at what's coming up ahead And I want you to imagine that on the far horizon, there are things that you can do tax-wise in terms of how you handle your income, in terms of how you handle your expenses, that then will go into your books differently, and that will result in you giving a different set of numbers to your tax preparer, so that when they look in the rearview mirror to go to prepare your taxes on April 15th, they see something different than what they saw previously because you focused on what was in the windshield looking ahead and you made the adjustments that needed to be made. So simply put, tax planning is looking through the front windshield and making adjustments in light of what's coming ahead rather than just recording what has happened in the past in your rearview mirror.
1: But I love your phrases here of defense versus offense when it comes to tax planning. Explain that.
2: Well, tax planning, simply put, is defense. Now, in order to understand defense, we have to know what's opposite of that. And the opposite, of course, is offense. Offense is how you earn your money. Offense is how you deploy your skills. If you'll think about it in a sports metaphor again, offense is how you score points. And so we can score a lot of points in our business or in our home life, however it is that we're raking in money. We can score a lot of points on the board. But yet get to the end of the year and not have any of those points left if we don't play defense. Defense is protecting the nest egg that the offense produced. And tax planning is a defensive tactic. And the good news is that defense is actually easier than offense. Because the tax code prescribes some very specific defensive steps that we can take that will protect our money, our nest egg that we have earned, from being shrunk by taxes. So basically when you look at the IRS
1: code, you know right away what you're going to benefit or where you could benefit.
2: Oh, it's, it's extremely clear. And uh, it's just that most people have no training in looking at that. They haven't given any thought to it. And they tend to think that their CPA is doing it for them. And, And here's the thing that I really like about tax planning is that tax planning is guaranteed money. I want you to think about if you were a business owner. And let's say that you've got a new marketing strategy that's a surefire thing. You read about it on the internet and you're going to deploy this new strategy. Well, the simple fact is once you spend the money and deploy that new strategy, it might work or it might not work. (laughs) Let's say that you think to yourself, well, if I would just hire a new employee, to sell for me, a new salesperson in my business, then my business would grow, my offense, I'm playing more offense that way, and my nest egg would get larger because we're creating more money. But have you ever hired a new employee and it turned out not to be a good hire? You see, there's no guarantee when you're playing offense, but when you're playing defense using tax planning, you're depending not on an employee or a strategy, but you're depending on the tax code that is in black and white, we like to call it black letter law, it's right there in ink printed on government Mm -hmm. documents. Tax planning is codified by the IRS. And when you do it, you know immediately what the benefit will be in dollar terms, you can calculate the benefit at the time that you do the tax plan. And so that's one of the things that makes it so exciting to me is it's guaranteed money when all the other things you do is iffy money that might or might not produce a yield for you.
1: So then why aren't people doing the tax planning? I mean, is it, is it complicated?
2: Well, yes, it can be complicated, particularly if you don't think taxes. And I do think taxes for a living. That's what my training is. And I'll tell you, it gets complicated for me sometimes. So I rarely expect my clients to understand it in depth enough that they can take it home and, and regurgitate it uh, a week later. When we think about why people don't do tax planning, I think the first reason they don't do it is because they believe they have a CPA who's already doing it. In fact, I hear that from business owners quite often. When I'll ask them about what kind of tax planning they've done, they'll say, well, my CPA does all that for me. I don't need to talk with you about Mm. that. And the simple fact is what they haven't come to grasp is that there's a great difference between tax compliance and tax planning. Tax compliance is, again, looking in the rearview mirror, taking all those numbers from last year, organizing them, and putting them on the form in the way that the government prescribes. Tax planning is sitting down, at least annually, with whoever your tax consultant and strategist is, in a no pressure kind of environment. And when I say no pressure, I'm talking about there's no pending return. There's no no tax return you're trying to complete. If you try to talk to your tax preparer on March the 15th about tax planning, he doesn't want to talk about that because he's got 500 returns to be completed between then and April 15th. Mm -hmm. And you're really just taking up his time. The worst time to try to talk with your tax person is when they're preparing taxes on April 15th. You want to have this conversation in June or July or November, whenever it happens to be, when there's no pressure from a pending return so that you can talk about strategies and about what is possible in a much more relaxed environment. Now, the question I would ask regarding your CPA or whoever prepares your taxes is this. When is the last time your CPA brought you a tax savings idea that would save you $3,000 or more? And generally, when I answer that question or I ask that question, rather, people will answer with kind of a blank look and they'll say, well, yeah, that hasn't happened lately. Uh, Sometimes they will give me an answer that is positive and generally it will be what's called a section 179 answer. Now you may or may not know section 179 is the section of the tax code that allows you to buy a new piece of equipment at the end of the year, a new truck or trailer or whatever kind of equipment you use in your business could be a copying machine or a new set of computers and deduct all of that in one year. So essentially what you're doing is just advancing your expenses And that is one of the pieces of advice that tax preparers give is, well, you could always uh, pay your next month's utility bill a month early. And, well, all you've done is brought next January's expense into this year. That really doesn't help change the game. It just kicked the ball, uh, kicked the can down the road, I should say. And so when you do tax planning, you're not looking for those kinds of options. You're looking for strategies instead that are in the tax code that will actually reduce your taxes that the government's already baked into the recipe. So I think the first reason that people don't do tax planning is because they think their CPA is doing it. The making this jump to defense. Is it a
1: mindset change?
2: It's a topic that hasn't even been discussed. I mean, when did you ever talk with your tax person about something like this? Generally, you didn't even have a tax person until you had already done the work. You've already made the money and in the first year your business is set up and going, hardly anyone meets with a tax person to get their business started. After a year, then they take their box of receipts or whatever it happens to be, and they start looking for someone to prepare their tax return. And that may or may not be a really skilled person. We don't do tax return preparation in our practice. We only do tax consulting and strategy work. But they'll go to that person and just kind of dump all the information on them and ask them to prepare a return. So, that's the wrong time to be doing planning. And the result is that it's complicated. And the things that you might have needed to do early on to set your business up for maximum tax efficiency well, the horse is already out of the barn. It's too late for that. And so, you're trying to fix things in arrears. In fact, you're looking in the rearview mirror instead of out in the front windshield.
1: Well, people are always afraid of being audited. So, they take their stuff to a tax preparer or a CPA or whatever is it fair to be afraid of being audited?
2: Well, you know, people are afraid of whatever people are afraid of. But let me just ask you some questions about audit. And that is the number one concern. In fact, sometimes CPAs undo the good work I've done by just basically whispering in their client's ear, well, I don't know, that could be a red flag. Let's talk about red flags for a moment. Is it a red flag when you follow the law? If you're driving down the road and you have a red light, the light goes from green to yellow to red and you stop at it, is that a red flag for a police officer? Oh, we better stop that person because they stopped at a red light. No, the red flag is when you run through a red light. And so when we are doing tax planning, what we're doing is we're following the letter of the law. And when you follow the letter of the law and do exactly what the Internal Revenue Code says, Then my question to you would be, do you think there's any concern of an audit when you have followed the law? And we would never, ever recommend that a person fail to follow the law, that they do something that was illegal. You know, the difference between uh, tax evasion and tax planning is about 20 years, (laughs) and and, uh, And, you know, they're going to put you in a big house and give you a roommate and you might not like your roommate, but worse news is your roommate might like you. (laughs) So, so we don't, we don't want to do tax evasion. What we want to do is tax planning using the tax code as our guide. Now, a friend of mine who is a tax strategist, by the way was flying on a plane. He sits down, does what business guys do. They uh, talked about, you know, what do you do? Where are you flying today? Those sorts of things. And it happened that he sat down beside a guy who said, well, I'm an auditor for the IRS. He said, oh, well, isn't that so interesting? Because I'm actually a tax strategist. So he said, let me ask you a few questions, if you don't mind. And he began to explain one of the tax strategies that uh, we often wind up using for clients. And the IRS guy said, never heard of a strategy like that. And so my friend asked him, well, so let's say you're auditing someone and you find this strategy being implemented. What are you going to do? And the IRS guy said, well, I'm going to go back to the office and I'm going to ask everybody else in the office if they've ever heard of it. And if they say, no, they've never heard of it and nobody really is familiar with it, he said, we're probably going to let it pass. The only way he was going to attack it is if somebody in the office raised up their hand and said, oh, wait, that's illegal. And here's the section of code where it says that it's illegal. So in fact, the guy whose business it is to audit taxpayers said to my friend, if you're using a tax strategy that I've never heard of and that nobody in my office has ever heard of, we're probably going to let you continue to do that. Whether they do let you continue or whether they audit you, it doesn't matter because we're following the letter of the law and we're not going to be in violation if we follow the letter of the law. So... I don't think there's a concern to be audited, but if you do get audited, let's just talk about what the percentages are of actually having an audit happen. Mm -hmm. Well, the Wall Street Journal had an article recently that said of all returns, 0.59%, that's about half of 1% of returns get audited. So that means there's a 99.5% chance that you won't be audited. Now if you're you're making better money than average, let's say you're making between a million and 5 million dollars, your chance of a return being audited jumped to 2.2%. That's already a 98% chance that you won't be audited in that case. So my thoughts about this are the odds of being audited are very low, but it's fine. Go ahead and audit us because We are only doing things that are embedded in the tax code. And here's an interesting little factoid for you. When they do an audit, 20% of audits result in no change. 15% of IRS audits actually result in a refund. Wouldn't that be cool if the IRS came and made you cough up all your records so they could write you a check? Nice. And only about 25% of IRS audits actually result in any additional uh, tax being paid. So, I'll wrap up this audit thought this way. My office uh, used to be located on the same floor of an office building as the Internal Revenue Service office. So I ran into the IRS guys all the time uh, down in the men's room. And one day I'm standing there in the men's room doing what men do. And there's an IRS guy standing at the urinal next to me. And I was asking him some questions about what our risks were and how it really worked. And he said to me, he said, Barry, he said, here's the deal. He said, if you think that you have a legitimate tax strategy or a legitimate deduction, he said, you go ahead and take it, and you wait on us to prove you wrong.
1: How long do they have to do that?
2: Well, generally, three years is kind of the thought. Now, the way, the way uh, audits work is if they find that you have done something criminal, They can go back further than the three years, but generally the statute of limitations on things like that is three years. So again, it doesn't matter to us how long the statute of limitations is. They can go back 10 years if they want to, uh, because we're using strategies that are embedded in the tax code. And there are 77,000 pages to that tax code. So there's a lot of things in there that nobody has read and that nobody knows about. And that's why it's our job to go find the things in the tax code that other people don't know about, and take those things and put them to use for our clients.
1: And just to rehash here, if the IRS has not heard of your tax proposal here, as long as they don't think it's illegal, you're fine. You just keep going.
2: Absolutely. Wow. And if if they ask, what's you explain. why did you do this? You explain. We just take them to the section of the tax code and say. Because it says right here in the Internal Revenue Code that you can do this. Have you read all 77,000 pages of that code? (laughs) No. (laughs) No. I haven't, and no one else on the planet has either.
1: So who knows these things? And nobody at the
2: IRS has read it either.
1: Who knows these things?
2: Well, I know a thing here. You know a thing there. They know a thing there. He knows a thing there. And there are certain bodies of material that everyone knows and knows how it works, but there are all kinds of exceptions that people don't know about. For example, let me, let me help you understand how we look at the tax code. The tax code is a series of red lights and green lights. Now, the red lights, your CPA, by the way, and tax preparer is very familiar with the red lights. They teach the red lights in CPA school. The red lights are the places in the tax code that say you must pay tax. So, when a tax preparer is working on your books from last year, looking in the rearview mirror, what he or she is looking for are the places in your finances from last year where you run up against a red light and you must pay a tax. Mm-hmm. We're tax strategists, not preparers. What we do when we go to the tax code is we look for the green lights that are in the tax code, and they're there in black ink on white paper. And the green lights say, you must pay taxes. That's the red light. And the green light says, unless this, or except for that. So our job as tax strategists is to find the green lights and apply the green lights against the red lights to reduce the taxes that our clients have previously had to pay.
1: Wow. I get, I get that. All right. Do you have some examples to share?
2: Well, sure. Um, Every case is different, uh, of course, uh, because, you know, one person may come in and they're paying 100 or 150 or $200,000 in taxes. And the next person may come in and be paying $20,000 in taxes. I will tell you that as a general rule, unless you're paying $20,000 or more in tax, probably we don't have a lot of tax strategy that will work for you as a business owner. Now, retirees, that's a different story. Retirees, we've got tax strategies that will work no matter what bracket you fall into. But for business owners, you need to be paying about $20,000 in tax before the tax strategies will be cost effective. So here would be an example. I had an employee come in. Uh, He's he's not a business owner. He just works for a living. He's 50 years old, and he's got a million dollars in his IRA account, and he feels pretty good about himself. Now, if you've listened to the previous podcasts, you know that one of the things that we've taught you is that in the future, taxes are going to go higher. So he's got a million in his IRA now at 50, but by the time he's 70 years old, his IRA is probably going to be worth about $4 million. Now at age 72, he's going to have to begin making required minimum distribution. And so his required minimum distribution is going to be somewhere in the neighborhood of $135,000. That distribution alone, before you consider any of the rest of his income, is going to put him in one of the top tax brackets currently, let alone after taxes are increased. Mm. So on top of that distribution, he's got pensions and social security, going to push him right through the roof on the tax bracket. So one of the things that we teach him to do is how to actually take his IRA, get the taxes cleansed out of that IRA today, so it's then tax-free going forward, and then reinvest that IRA in a way so that he doesn't have to pay taxes on it as it grows.
1: So you're talking a growth here. You're talking a a Roth IRA here.
2: Well, a Roth could be one of the strategies. Yes, that's correct. But there are other strategies that will do this too, allow you to grow it tax-free. And so if you'll think about it, if he grew that money to $4 million and there's no tax due on it, well, what that means is when he retires, he may only have social security or he may have a little pension to go with his social security, but his social security is not enough that it's gonna drive him into a very high tax bracket. In fact, it'll keep him in the lowest tax bracket In some cases, some cases, we have clients who actually are in the zero tax bracket in retirement nice because they did planning ahead. So that's an example of a a working person, employee, a W-2 kind of person doing some tax planning. But then there are things that business owners can do as well. And tell me, what can they do? Well, Internal Revenue Code Section 280A, subsection G, how are we doing so far? You having fun?
1: Oh, my God, having lots of fun.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That happens to be a section of the code that allows you to rent your home for 14 days every year and not have to pay any income tax on the rental money that you receive from your home. So I know a person who owns a company who uses his home for company meetings and several times a year he will have his executive team in, gather them around the table at his home. They will meet for several hours of the day and then they might go out back and use the tennis courts or the pool or the riding arena or something of that nature. And so he's able to each day write off a a substantial amount of money that His business writes it as an expense to him because they rented this place to have this meeting and it just happened to be his home. And you're allowed in the Internal Revenue Code, Section 280, 14 days without having to pay tax on that particular money. So that's a strategy that uh, a business owner could use. Um, Another strategy, and we've got business owners who use all these strategies, by the way. Another strategy that business owners use is called an enterprise risk management plan. And that's where you're allowed to set back money for low probability, high risk expenses. I, I should say low low probability, high expense risks is the way I meant to say that.
1: Such as, so, a, such as a hurricane or something like that?
2: Well, a hurricane could certainly be one of them. Okay. Or what about a sexual harassment suit, which you've never anticipated coming your way? What if somehow there's some sort of intrusion on your technology and suddenly you have a risk because your customer list got out and it offended someone, and now you owe your customer some extra money because of uh, that Mm. kind of problem? Things that probably aren't going to happen, they're not very likely to happen, but when they do happen, there's a lot of expense associated with them. So here's what that person can do in establishing an enterprise risk management plan they can move, let's say, $180,000 from one pocket. Over to another pocket, all in the same pair of pants, but designate that money for their enterprise risk management plan. And when they do that, they get to deduct that money. Now the money is still sitting over there in an account in their name, and they can reclaim that money at some point in the future at favorable tax rates. But effectively, what we did for that year is we reduced their taxable income by $180,000 if it was a $180,000 transfer. So an enterprise risk management plan is a strategy that some business owners use. And I will tell you, all of the Fortune 500, all of the S&P 500, the big corporations use these strategies All day long and twice on Sunday, but the strategies are also available to mom and pop businesses uh, in your town or in mine. And so that's an important strategy that people can use.
1: Does that amount of money you set aside have to stay set aside for any minimum amount of time?
2: It does stay set aside for a couple of years. You have some restricted access to that money, but it's still in your name. So in the future, that money will come flowing back to you and it can come back to you at very advantageous tax rates down in the single digits, depending on how you set up your plan.
1: All right. Now you had something here about an employer benefit plan too, rather than an employee
2: Well, that's the important phrase there is employer, not employee. You know, everybody wants to talk about employee benefit plans and employers want to take care of their employees. There's no doubt, but employers are in business first and foremost for themselves to try to benefit themselves and enhance their own life. And we get so busy doing employee benefit plans that we kind of tend to overlook the employer. So we happen to have a a client that we work with who established a deductible pension plan for the owner. Now, in this particular case, they were able to put $238,000 in one year into their deductible pension plan for the owner, and 92% of that money went to the owner's account. They did have to give 8% of it to their employees, but if you could put a dollar away in savings knowing that $0.08 had to go to the employees, but you kept 92% of it, $0.92 in your name, is that not something you would do? My hand Would is up. Not, yep. 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 Yeah. Give your employee eight percent or eight cents in order for you to get ninety-two cents. Yeah, I think that's some of the best money that you might ever spend. And so, in that particular case, uh, you just that plan, by the way, has been around for over fifty years. I don't even know when the tax code first allowed those to be started, but they've kind of grown out of fashion and people don't do them very much anymore, but they are beautiful because they allow you to save so much more money than the typical business owner saves. And, and by the way, if you have no employees, you happen to be a, a solo operator, you could set up a plan like that. And then 100% of what you put into it would be uh, yours. And none of it would go to the employees because the employees don't exist.
1: And business owners don't know this.
2: No. Generally, they're not aware of that. Business owners are busy running their business. They're busy dealing with human resources and COVID-19 and uh, the taxes they're going to have to pay at the end of the year and the regulations that are coming down from government. Business owners don't know about plans like this. Most stockbrokers and financial advisors don't know about these plans. I would tell you over half of CPAs don't even know that these plans exist because this is the stuff that's kind of off the off the beaten track, you know, it's uh, it's kind of over in the weeds a little bit, and the light isn't shining on it real brightly, and nobody reads those 77,000 pages of the tax code. And so you've just got to find these gems, and when you find them, you have to go to your business owners and say, hey, look here what we can do. And business owners first don't believe it, and then when you show it to them in the tax code, they say, maybe I ought to do it. I did have an experience, though, where I brought this to one business owner's attention, and he took it to his CPA, and he asked the question and said, what about doing this? And the CPA said, well, oh, I think that could be a red flag. I had another business owner who took the same information to her CPA and said, can you do this? And the CPA said, well, yes, you can do that. And she said, well, then why didn't you tell me about it? And he said, well, I didn't think you'd be interested. Oh, my goodness gracious. Exactly. What do you mean you didn't think I'd be interested? The really? answer is you, you're being lazy. You didn't tell me what was possible. And and by the way, that one transaction for a business owner who's in a high tax bracket, that could save over $150,000 in taxes. All right there, black ink in the tax code. And its I can't say it's audit proof, but I can say when you get audited on it, it will pass. Because it's been audited a bazillion times, and it's perfectly legitimate. So you don't have to worry about that. So uh, back to your question you asked way early about audits. Are audits really a concern? If you're following the law, audits are no concern at all.
1: Barry, the benefits of tax planning are now laid in front of me. I love it. Thank you, J. Barry Watts of SavingYouTaxes.com. To subscribe to The Truth About Taxes and Retirement podcast, just tap the subscribe button on this page. And of course, also share all this information with the share button. I'm Patrice Socora, and let's talk again later.
0: Thank you for listening to The Truth About Taxes and Retirement Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of savingyoutaxes.com. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for professional tax and investment advice. Always seek the advice of your own qualified advisor with any questions you may have regarding taxes and investing.